Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. According to the CDC, more than one in 10 Americans above the age of 45 struggle with some level of cognitive decline. As our nation ages, we all get touched by this in some way. The question is not so much how we can avoid it, but how we can recognize it and make the quality of life better for those loved ones who do experience this difficult fact of life. What's the difference between normal aging and cognitive decline? Who do you go to for help? And what does it cost? Our guest today, Anne Germany, who dealt with this with her own mother, Louise, now helps other families on a similar journey. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. And Germany, welcome to... Retire sooner. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Just before we got started recording, Ann asked me, like, so what do we need to do for the podcast? And I said, just have, let's have fun. I said, we should probably be drinking a, a beer or wine. And she or, said, or bourbon. Or bourbon. Absolutely. I'm a bourbon girl. So I knew, are you, where are you from? Are you from? Oh, like- no, no. I'm originally from Seoul, Korea. My dad was a colonel in the Air Force. Um, and my mother was Korean. I was born over there. So I'm a bit of an Air Force brat. But of course, my dad was like almost 60 when he had me. So he was around like making history and then I came on the scene and and I actually didn't see a lot of him until later on because he was still busy making history. But yeah, that's kind of how I came onto the scene. Well, when I think bourbon though, I immediately think of like you being from Kentucky for some reason. Oh, really? That's what I was thinking. I know know you're from... So you're Air Force, so you're all over I'm the place. I'm Air Force, and I only have a Southern accent when I've been drinking a lot of, a bourbon. Lot of bourbon. Right, right, right. So <laughs> You live in Atlanta, and this is the great thing. for So many of our interviews have been via Zoom, and the podcast world is like that now because nobody, you don't need to travel. You can just do Zoom. But, we, but for our listeners, Ann and I are in person in the studio, oh, which it's is fantastic. Like, it's like amazing. I didn't even... Right. Wes, you look great in person. You look so great in person. Thank you. So. Thank you. This is a topic that just hits home, right? This hits home for, maybe we'll start with your story. With you dealt with aging with your with your mom, and, and right, right. So my so here is my story. My father passed away thirty years ago, um, and my mother took care of him for the last five years of his life after he had a stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mother was in that classic textbook case where if she's the sole caregiver of someone like a spouse, and they're they're in need of a lot of care in their home, then when that spouse passes away, there's like 84% of the caregivers will end up having a stroke or a heart attack after the first month. And my mother was 
textbook. So one month to the day after my father had passed away, she had a stroke. So I brought her, uh, and she I helped take care of her for the next 22 years. Uh, during that time, she had a heart attack, and then she had a second stroke. And it's in that second stroke where she developed vascular dementia. Now, I, I'm a single mother. I have seven children. So we're in a house with seven children, and I've got a mother who I'm caring for. And How she, old were the kids with well, all this? Well, so when my mother came to uh, when she had her first stroke, my first child was two, uh, and and then uh, I had six more after that. So we had a very busy, exciting household, and I never really thought a lot about the changes that I saw in her, and and being Korean. It's hard to even pay attention, right? But when uh, you have seven course. children running around, and a my, lot of stuff kind of just falls through the cracks. <laughs> Maybe. Now, I'm a military daughter, so I ran my house kind of like that. It was very organized, very structured, and with that many people, I was juggling a lot of balls at, at the same time. But my mother started changing, and I really, whether it was I was doing what a lot of people did, I was probably in denial of what I was seeing. I didn't want my mother to age. I didn't want her become less than what I've always known. I mean, she was sort of this Wonder Woman to me. Uh, she had been through a war. She had been through the uh, desecration of her family. Uh, over in Korea when the Japanese she is, took over. Your mother is Korean? My mother is full-blooded, yeah, yes. Yeah. And so I watched her and kept thinking, she's actually okay. And being Korean, we were raised to really appreciate that aging process and not question it, not go, well, look, she's becoming very forgetful. Mm -hmm. Or look, she burned part of the house down. You know, those kind of things never really came up in our conversation. So I watched my mother start to change, and these changes started becoming significant. Now, in a household like mine, we were very busy. My children are overachievers. They all played sports on a high-end team. They all were musically talented and all very, very uh, well-accomplished academically. So, so they're well-rounded and busy. Yes, they're and if anybody would like full some, schedules. I'll, I'll share them with you. <laughs> what are yes. the ages now, by the way? How old are the um, kids? 30 down to one, just turned 15. Okay. So so they're all still very accomplished and, and working. One is getting her master's. Four are headed to med school, and I've got two at home. So wow. it's okay. that type of household. So you can imagine when they were younger just how busy they were. Yeah. So my mother was always the first one ready to go out that door. She had her hat on, her coat, going to the baseball games, the concerts, whatever was going on. Mm -hmm. She was always there. And then I started noticing a change slowly she would say, you know, I think I'm going to sit this game out. And I just thought, well, mom's finally getting tired it's of this. enough us. baseball games. Right, enough baseball, enough fan tournaments yeah. and contests. So my mother started sitting out the games. Mm -hmm. And I and, thought, and this is where, fine. as we're kind of, the, the road we're going down here, uh, and is the thought of normal aging versus right. cognitive decline. Exactly. And, and to your point, your you, mom is superwoman, like a lot of our parents. We 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 think of them in their period of strength, and you don't really want to see something happen to them negatively. You don't want to see them decline. So, you just as a daughter were at this point still learning the difference between normal decline and, and actually a real cognitive decline. Right, and I am like most of your listening audience today. I know nothing about this. At this time, this point in my life, I know nothing because who prepares for this? When I teach and train now uh, on um, what is normal aging and what is cognitive decline, what is dementia, um, I equate this to a family who is learning fire safety uh, in a burning house. If mm. you were teaching fire safety to that family, how effective would that training be? 
It's not because most people don't learn about this. 30 years ago, no one talked about cancer. And now people plaster cancer on their foreheads. I'm a survivor. You know, I'm going through cancer and families are supportive and everyone talks about this. But today, nobody talks about cognitive decline. It's still shunned or hidden. I talk to families daily who won't even say those words. They'll say, well, there's a change in my husband, or my mom is not quite remembering things the way she did. Those words, dementia, cognitive decline, Alzheimer's, all of these types of words are not utilized because people still are not ready to embrace this. And I was just like them. So So mom starts sitting out games she yes. starts and and you're in your mind you're thinking oh well she's getting older in my mind i'm thinking i want to sit out games but yeah <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. mom can i sit with you and how old was she when this first started uh, she was in her late 70s so pretty pretty early. physically physically she... amazing the woman was walking four or five miles a day mm-hmm. right but so cotton... she had recovered she had a, a, a two strokes but she was fine after physically that. she recovered fully yep. cognitively not so much mm-hmm. so so then she started, again, making some more changes. She started taking her meals in her room. Now, my mother is very social. Um, she loves people, is drawn to, you know, all my children's friends. We had that house in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And my mother started going into her room for meals. And, and I didn't understand why. Again, just assuming we've finally gotten to her. Um, and <laughs> finally and all the, gotten finally, to her. <laughs> she's finally had enough. Um, but then, then some things started happening that I couldn't ignore. So the first incident um, was, well, let me back up a minute. She started doing things like burning her oatmeal. So I Mm -hmm. started making sure she didn't cook. And then I noticed she wasn't taking her medications. And then I noticed that uh, the bills were coming in and where I thought she had paid them, she hadn't. So there are some things that I thought, oh, she's aging. Mm-hmm. I need to assist her with her meds. I need to assist her with her bills, right? But then something significant happened. A friend of mine called me and said, your mother is standing under the light in front of McDonald's in a commercial area. She said, I pulled your mother over to the side, and uh, I'm going to stay here with her until you come and get her. So I'm driving like crazy, going to pick her up. Now, my mother walked about three or four miles every day, but this was in a direction that she never went. So I picked her up, I put her in my car, and I said, so, Mom, why were you standing under that light in the middle of that intersection? And she she said, well, you know, I was crossing the street and the light changed, and I was kind of waiting for the traffic. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Case closed. Hmm. I didn't want to know. So you didn't want to know. No, I didn't want to know. My mother was two miles away from where she normally was in the middle of a commercial area, instead of walking in the neighborhoods where she normally Mm -hmm. walked. The second incident. A friend of mine called me. She's an attorney. She was going in late to work. And she said, hey, I just pulled your mother off of the middle of uh, Rutger, which is this very busy street. She was walking in the middle of the road down the street. And she said, so I've got her here, and I'm going to wait for you to come. I was okay, again, in my car, driving like a maniac to go pick my mom up. And I get her in my car. And again, I say, mom, so why were you walking down the middle of the street? The sidewalks are on both sides of the road. And I'm holding my breath because I'm really wanting an answer that makes me feel good about what just happened, yeah. right? Right. And she said, yeah, I was crossing the street. We've heard this again. And she said, yeah, I was just going to like go down a little bit more before I continue to cross the street. So, so that, again, it kind of answered what you, you kind of wanted to hear that. So oh, I was yeah. like, yeah, she was, yeah. that's okay. great, mom. Good. And I shut that door again. Mm. 
But the third time, I couldn't ignore it. My mother walked out in the middle of rush hour on this very busy street and fell. Mm. Um, she broke two ribs. She broke uh, her wrist, hurt her leg. She was in the ICU for a number of weeks. She was in then the hospital for a while, went into rehab. And then my brother, who's a surgeon here in town, came to me and he said, you know, we need to do something here. With Something's mom. not right. Yeah. And we need to figure out what it is. But she really can't come home. So that was the beginning of my journey into understanding what this was that my mother was dealing with. So what are the differences then? So, you know, being forgetful, we expect our elders to be forgetful. Right. But where does it cross over? Is it just the fact that if you're forgetting, almost like you're starting to put yourself in danger, then it changes over to cognitive decline? Or what is the line? So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of information in this area. And here are just some of the red flags that you can look for. Forgetfulness is normal. There's a lot of aspects of normal aging that fall into, let's say, a category to your left. And then to your right, you've got cognitive decline. You've got that Venn diagram where you've got the common areas in the middle. So let's take the forgetfulness. If you forget a routine or your keys or you're, you're getting dressed in the morning, you might have forgotten to put that clip in your hair that you do every day. That's mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. That's probably normal aging. When it starts to affect the regular ability for your day to function normally, then you're moving into an area where it may be something else. For example, if you're getting ready in the morning and you are trying to brush your teeth, and you brush your teeth, but you don't put toothpaste on your teeth, toothbrush. So that could be a red flag. If you're getting dressed and your sequencing is out of order, so you put your shirt and your pants on and your jacket, but as you step out of your bedroom, your wife may say, wait, you forgot to put your shirt on over your T-shirt, and you're thinking, oh, but I did this. See, those are types of things that affect the regular flow of your day. Regular flow. Right. But you may not know. So, but, but forgetfulness is more than just a routine. For example, Wes, I met you today for the first time. Mm -hmm. Now, I meet a lot of people in my day-to-day. -day. I feel like a test is coming yeah, up. A big test is coming <laughs> up. So we're out at a bar in Buckhead, and you walk over, and, and you walk by, and I say, hey, Wes. And you look at me, and I know that you're not old yet, Wes. But you go, okay, wait. Right. I know her from somewhere, and you're sitting there going, you're talking and being you know, personable. And then you walk away, and you go, oh, wait, that was Anne. She right. was in my studio today. Okay. That's normal, mm -hmm. okay? But if you walk past me in that bar and I'll say, Wes, and you look at me and you'll say yes, and you can't place me. It's not that you forgot where you know me from. I just don't exist in your mind anymore. And there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to explain that to your, your uh, audience. So that gets into real cognitive decline. First of all, it's so, it's so sad, number one, um, when, when families go through this, it's one of the most sad things to see. Yes, um, it it's is. It's slow moving, which makes it really difficult. And then this is the other thing that I've noticed over the years, because I've been in the financial industry for 20 some years. My parents are still, I, I don't, they're, they're in their, let's call it late 60s, early 70s, and there's nothing that I'm seeing. So I don't see it within my own family yet. But with with our with my client base that maybe they started with me when they were 60 mm -hmm. and now they're in their 80s 
sometimes, and, I, and I've had a few families go through this, sometimes it feels like things are great, and then all of a sudden there's one big red flag. And that I think is, so, so what you just described is that somebody can sound normal, act normal, and make good excuses like, oh, well, I, oh, I didn't check that. Oh, well, oh. everything seems okay. But then one big thing is like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So is that what I'm, if it one big thing that's like a red flag that maybe now that crosses over into decline? Well, what, what my goal is, my passion is, if I can teach your audience, if I can teach your client base, your friends, you, what to look for, then there shouldn't be that one big major traumatic mm, right. event. Let's get to that then. So you, you should be seeing these red flags. So let's say the forgetfulness is fine. Okay, that's something. A break in their routine, like, like I said, the toothbrush thing. Um, let's talk about the finances. This is a big red flag. When we teach banks, um, administrators and banks, tellers, we, we educate them as well. Mm-hmm. Why? Because Generally, the older population will go to a bank and they'll do things in person. Exactly right. So the tellers often see these clients more than the doctors do. A doctor will see his patients maybe once or twice a year for five or ten minutes. But these... these, But um, a bank teller may see somebody every week. Once a week, exactly. So now they're starting to see... Um, them do things that aren't quite right. Like, for example, they can tell that bills are not being paid on time or they're transferring funds to an organization that they've never done that before. These are red flags that are real important because I had a family call me uh, last week and, and the daughter was sitting down and I said, so what, what kind of things are you seeing changes? And the very first thing the son-in-law said, well, so I noticed that we, there was a stack of bills that I thought had been paid three months behind. She says she's paid them. She doesn't remember not paying them, but they're not paid. And now I'm going to have to go back there and see if there's anything else that hasn't been paid. So these type of things are usually one of the first red flags, the financial piece Mm. of not remembering, not being able to manage the day-to-day tasks that you've been managing all your life. That is a huge red flag for families to, to, to recognize. For you, as somebody who works with clients for over a number of years, to start to recognize. If you're sitting at a meeting and you're talking to someone and you're discussing some options for them to make, and they've always been very astute in their ability to understand. To quickly understand and make a decision. And to make a decision. And now all of a sudden, they're not, not only are they not able to make a decision, they might quickly make a decision that doesn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. And you and, find yourself thinking, well, maybe I didn't explain that in the best way. So let me right. go back. So when you start seeing that at the next couple of meetings, that's a huge red sign. But, but you mentioned something about your mo- mother where she stopped wanting to eat, let's say, with the family. Something like that where you can easily say, well, she's just sick of seven kids running around. Right. Like, give her a break. <laughs> In my family, yes. Or, or somebody that says, you know, I'd rather not drive. I can't get on the highway. Again, I don't, you know, I, I get that. If I'm my mother-in-law who's 71, totally with it, she won't drive. Right. But but maybe to your point, this is somebody who would have no problem driving and all of a sudden says, oh, I don't want to get on the highway anymore. So it does take a long time, first of all. And second of all, it starts to impede their life. That's when the flag goes from normal aging, to your point, to something in that maybe it's also in the Venn diagram piece in the middle that is actually that's cognitive decline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 
6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The umbrella you're talking about, cognitive decline in general, has a lot of different, there's a lot of absolutely, different Absolutely, absolutely. So one of the first things I do when I'm teaching or doing a presentation, it's I say, show of hands, who, who thinks dementia is a medical diagnosis? So half the hands usually pop up in the room. And then the other people are like, no, nah, I don't know if I want to raise my hand or not, right? Well, it's not. Dementia is not a medical diagnosis. And people are like, oh, what? Dementia is an umbrella term that covers over 70 different types of diagnosis of cognitive decline. Seven, so dementia over, is- over 70 Diagnosis. Give me some examples because I well, want to get, but I'm not going to forget going back. To so, the, 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 I'm going to say the top four that people are most familiar with obviously, number one, Alzheimer's. That probably affects 40, 50, 60% of the population that has cognitive decline. Okay. okay, next, vascular dementia, what my mother experienced. Next will be Lewy body dementia. Mm, heard, yeah. And we'll have to end with frontal temporal. So those are the four most common that the general population, if they've heard of any of these, will have heard of. But you've got, uh, what, 66 more possibilities there? So there's a lot that people have never heard of. Right. And then you've got like Parkinson's-induced dementia, alcohol-induced dementia. You've got, you know, all kinds of, of diseases that have dementia as a side effect or symptom as well. So you've got all kinds of areas of the brain that are affected by this. And this is a disease of the brain. And generally, I go on to say there are different ways of diagnosing it. But it by the is, way, these are the medical diagnoses. Those are the medical diagnoses. But what people don't understand is the brain literally starts to shrink in size. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is the determining factor in people having to, you know, live with this limited capacity. People think, oh, dementia is just forgetfulness, but it is so much more than Mm -hmm. I have forgotten your name. It is because the capacity of the brain is decreasing. If you consider the brain as the mechanism that controls the entire body, every function of the body, and then you take components of your brain out, if you took parts of your car out, it it's not just function. one thing that goes wrong. Absolutely, yeah. it's so, a chain reaction. Absolutely. So let's take let's take the whole idea of why is mom and dad not going out to dinner with me anymore? Okay. Well, so dementia, cognitive decline affects the hearing. No, we're not talking about your hearing diminishes and you start hearing less. Yes, that can happen. But what happens it it affects your ability to monitor and to filter the noises. So all of a sudden, your hearing is almost heightened. What does that mean? That means, well, all the noises that come in at a restaurant, the people talking next to you, the guy busting the table, the guy setting the plate down in front of you and picking up the silverware that you've already used, all of those noises come at you at the same volume. And and your, your mind can't filter through that. And if you haven't heard that all, hitting you all at once, you can't understand the anxiety it causes. Mm. I perform this, um, this, this opportunity. I say opportunity because I think it's a great opportunity for people to walk in the shoes of somebody with dementia for about 10 minutes. And what I do is I impair them visually. Um, I impair their hearing and I impair their fine motor skills. 
And the way I impair their hearing is I put a set of of noise-canceling headsets on them. Mm -hmm. And then through that, I shoot like 10 different types of day-to-day sounds all at once at the same volume. Now... So it's disorienting. It's so disorienting. So people go through this exercise, and they go through, like, say, an apartment, and I will tell them different things to do that you would do on a daily basis. Feed the dog. Fold the sheets. Hang your shirt up. Pick up the cards that are on the floor, okay? It's, it's I can like, tell you're a mom of seven, by the way. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but I'm going to take is. it as a It is. I've got four. <laughs> okay. So in this process, yes, people struggle with the fine motor part of that because they have these mechanisms on their hands. They struggle with the visual part of that because I have, you know, visual impairment. But what gets everybody the most is the hearing. Mm. It literally, like some people, well, it's, it is so much on their brains. You're hearing sirens and you're hearing TV and you're hearing somebody talking and a dog barking and a doorbell ringing that people have taken those headsets off before that time, 10 minutes is up, and they set them down and they're shaking. And the people that have loved ones that are going through cognitive decline, 100% of the time say, I had no idea. That this is what, what they were hearing every day. I had no idea. So if you take that person with any type of dementia and you put them in a setting like a restaurant or just a family table mm-hmm. where they're listening to two conversations and forks clinking and people sipping and maybe music or TV in the background, it's overwhelming. It, it, it is so much on their senses that it is overwhelming. So, Yeah. They're not going to want to go out with tea. Mm-hmm. My mother didn't want to sit at the table with my children talking about 10 different things at one time, you know, with a cat. So it gets, it gets heavy for them to deal so with. So heavy. A no, again, literally noise is part of the issue. Well, noise, but that's, that's only part of it. The other mm-hmm. part is they're aware. So another characteristic or a symptom they're of aware cognitive of what? decline. They're aware that they're declining. They're aware that now it is a little more difficult to keep up with that conversation. It's a little more difficult to respond. My mother, I look back and I see all these red flags. My mother would go to a restaurant, and she was very particular about what she enjoyed eating, and food was something she enjoyed, even though she was 110 pounds and fit as a fiddle. She could out-eat my six-foot sons (laughs) all day long. I mean, they were always in awe of how much food that woman could put away. But we started noticing I would take her to restaurants with us, and she would look at the menu for a few minutes and put it down and say, just order me something. And I'd say, hmm. well, well, what do you want, Mom? I would think, well, she doesn't want to look. And she'd say, well, just, just order me something. So I'd say, well, you want fish, chicken, you know, meat, what is it? Then she digressed even more to where she didn't even look at the menu, and she didn't have a preference. And I didn't understand that, but I do now. Mm-hmm. See, my when saying— did your ki- When would a kid—let's say yeah. you're— that ten-year-old. When would a ten-year-old start to notice this, or is there, it's not noticeable enough for a long time? To let's say a kid, one of your kids. Did any of your kids ever speak up and say there's something wrong with grandma? Well, they didn't know there was something wrong. They knew there were changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they just went along with it. Um, to them, it was just their loving grandma. And you know, all of us are old to kids, right? right <laughs> so, yeah. so they categorize anything like thirty and up as they just do? Oh, old they totally behavior. Do. Totally right? old. Yeah. So kids aren't going to go, oh wow, that's like an even older behavior than than what mom was used to doing. Um, and so right, but they just were always. Since we had, she had always been around us and we had always assisted her, whatever assistance she needed is what they gave her. So how do we start to talk then to our family members when this starts to happen? 
And we want to say, do we need to go to the doctor? Do we need to do something? You should take mom to the doctor or we should Mm -hmm. take mom. Or what do we do with families we work with? So again, the bank teller, how do you start? What do we do? That, that's a tough one because you've got all different dynamics represented in families, as I'm sure you do with your clients sure. as well. So you've got those who are ahead of the game, who recognize that, like say, a spouse may, may be changing and they want to be proactive. And with this disease, the sooner you diagnose it, the sooner you can do exercises and things cognitively slow it down. Some meds may slow it down. There are things you can actually do. I mean, that's the first thing when you start to really understand the gravity of a disease like this. And again, right. I've talked about this so many times, but no one's ever brought this hearing issue up. And now I totally get it. I can feel how heavy that is. The, the immediately, the first thing you think is, that, how do we slow this thing down? Do we, you know, again, I, I, I'm, I'm a markets guy, so I'll look at, you know, Eli Lilly will come out with something or, you know, you know, this trial didn't work and there's promise in this trial, but we still don't have anything close to a silver bullet, like at all. Right. Is there anything that you've seen over the years that does start to either slow things down or make things even better? Or is it literally just a, is just downhill no matter what we do? Well, so if you ask me what's my wish, if I had one wish I could make for families that are going through this, this would be it right here. If I could convince families to get an early diagnosis when they first start thinking there's a change. So go to the doctor. So the diagnosis can either be, yeah, you know, this is okay right now, or no, there's, we think there's a problem. Because then you can actually start making a change. You can start becoming more routine. You but can, what kind of doctor do we go to? Well, you, you, people, I always say, go to a neurologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to somebody that has got geriatric training, a gerontologist, a geriatric specialist. Those are the ones who get down to the nitty-gritty most people start with their PCP, their internists. And, uh, you know, no offense to internists that a lot of them are trained well, but this is still a new field. Mm-hmm. It's been with us for a long time, but gosh, you know, the field of gerontology is growing, what, eight years ago, there were, what, 44 maybe in Atlanta, I mean, in, in Georgia. So it's a growing field. The population now, how, demands how today? it. I, a, I'm not sure, but I know the numbers are, are so vastly different because mm-hmm. just finding gerontologists to go and see you know, became an issue. Well, pediatricians, I'm sure there's a time in the history of pediatrics where people thought, why should I take my child to a different doctor than our family met, mm-hmm. right? Early on, yeah. Yeah, but now who wouldn't go to a pediatrician? Because they know that meds interact differently. They know that, that even diseases have different symptoms and, and show differently in children than they do in a full de- fully developed body. Well, the same thing happens on the other end. As we age, meds affect us differently. They interact differently. Different diseases um, show differently. So again, so if you had your wish. Here's my wish, right. So I would tell families to get a diagnosis early and then, then, you know, make sure that you establish that socialization and that, because here's what happens. People start seeing a change, right? You know, like, like Wes, what is your wife's name? Lynn. Okay. Wes and Lynn go out every Saturday night with their best friends. They go and they have dinners at each other's homes, right? And now Wes and Lynn are not showing up at those events regularly. And all of a sudden, they've dropped out of the group. Why? Because Wes is starting to experience some changes. He's Mm -hmm. not able to follow the conversations. When they play games, he's not as quick as he used to be. Mm -hmm. And he's a little embarrassed. And he tells Lynn, and Lynn overcompensates for Wes 
She says, well, I know Wes is embarrassed, and I don't want to draw any light to this, so we're going to like not be quite as visible in our group so other people don't pick up on this. Well, that mm. is the number one thing that happens that is wrong. To withdraw socially, Mm -hmm. to have less stimulation and less interaction because you are not as able to comprehend or interact as quickly uh, as well as you So that actually... It's detrimental. Really? That is my wish list. So couples become less social. And then the spouse starts overcompensating for the shortcomings of, of the other of the disease yeah. or adult children do the same thing like you did with your mom in the beginning exactly oh she's fine oh you're gonna take fine. a left yeah i'm just gonna do her meds for her mm-hmm. i'm gonna cook all her meals for her and i'm gonna make sure she's taken care of instead of going wait why did this happen why did she burn this again and why was she standing under the middle of that light mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense at all and i guess and we could go a long time covering that up can't we oh of course until and people think you you said this and i wanted to say well that's not always correct wes you said until all of a sudden the disease appears and it seems huge but it's not if you if you were willing to get a diagnosis early if you're willing to take the necessary steps to slow this down then you would see how it digresses in a slow pattern and the disease, the different types of dementia hit different, different variables of speed, and they progress individually differently, but, and also with the individual person. A lot depends on the health, you know, the nutrition, how hydrated they are, how well they're taking their meds. So it's all an individual race that these people are running here. So there is help. There is hope. It can go from, and I don't know if there's any sort of standard, but if things go, what is the typical pattern? of decline how quickly does it go from barely noticeable to terrible or is there just no there's no what if we were to draw a bell curve how well i'm sure there i'm sure there's an area where you're going to have the majority of the people who are similar but you know i see cases where somebody i saw a family two weeks ago where the the husband was diagnosed two uh two months ago and he's almost in a place where he's physically and cognitively unable to care for himself the decline was in two months. He had Lewy body, and it just hit him very hard. Uh, so again, but again, some of these take mu- uh, years instead years, of months. Years, years, right? yeah. So typically, we see families in our communities that start to ask questions um, when when the caregiver cannot care for that loved one anymore, whether it's an adult child, whether it's a spouse, and that person is in a state where they are needing uh, a lot of assistance, prompting, help addressing, direction, you know, and yet that loved one, that family member has been dealing with this for two to three years. And they probably have not been aggressively interacting to try to slow it down. But here's the other thing I think our audience is sitting here as, as they're listening, and you think if it's mom or if it's uncle or if it's friend, if it's someone that you're close with, it's a weird conversation to have. Yeah. That's what seems so difficult to me is that in a professional setting, so you, you, I keep going to your bank example or someone is a client of yours, uh, the end person having the issue, if you're not super close to them, let's just say, let's say, say you, again, let's go back to the bank example. What right does the bank teller have to say to somebody that they see once a week? Hey, you need to go get help. And then if they do say something, it's almost... It's almost socially awkward and unacceptable, number one. Number two, how often are 
people not receptive to that. Like, don't do no, that. No, no, I'm fine. I'm just old and I'm, I'm getting a little older and I'm forgetful. Right. Like there's so many barriers <laughs> right. to, to get that person, I would, I would suspect, to either have somebody really, really that's much closer to them come step in or they're finally saying, okay, yeah, let's go to the doctor. That seems hard to overcome. It is. I wish I had a pat answer that everybody could use in this situation. Again, it is an individual case by case. Um, when I'm talking to a family member, it depends on how receptive that person is. Again, if you've got somebody who's proactive, who is ahead of the game on this, then they they are wanting what's best for them and their family members. Uh, all the way to you've got, like, say, parents who are still trying to live on their own, who are compensating for each other. I could tell you case-by-case case stories. Um, there's a couple, uh, a son and a daughter came in to see me and said, look, mom and dad are living in a three-story house. Dad's already fallen twice. They still drive, but they shouldn't. Uh, mom has cognitive decline. Dad's trying to care for her. Dad has physical issues, disabilities that are keeping him from, you know, he's on a walker now. Okay, this situation just looks really bad, right? Mm -hmm. So you and I, looking at it from the outside in, we're going to be like, okay, there's an obvious answer here. They need either some help in the home or they need to go to an assisted living community where they can get the care so they can live well and healthy, right? They're not even eating meals because they can't cook for each other. Mm. So there's a lot of issues here. Nutrition, who's, who's administering the medication? How are they going to see their doctors? That son and that daughter d cannot even take the next steps. They cannot even approach mom and dad with this issue. Don't want to hear it. No, they don't no, hear no, no. It. They want to live in the house that they've lived in for the last 40 years. Of course they do. They want to keep driving. They want to keep... So how do you have that conversation? Yeah, what do you do, right? Ann? So, so <laughs> there are a lot of different ways that they can approach this. You know, one way is they need to sit down and talk to the parent who doesn't have cognitive decline mm -hmm. and say, look... We are so concerned about your health and mom's. What is going to happen to mom if you fall? She's got cognitive decline. She's not at a place where she can pick the phone up and make the right kind of phone call to get help. You guys are in this house by yourself. Who is going to, who is going to make the next right step happen there? You can talk to and appeal to their sense as parents as we are up at night Worried about you. Worried about you. We are not doing well because we don't know how to help you and you're not mm. letting us. Appeal to that. But you also end up with parents who will not do anything or a spouse who says, no, I am fine until there is that traumatic incident. Like, until it really hits a wall, basically. Guilty. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm yeah. guilty of that. And I can sit in front of people and say, look, I did this. I was that person mm -hmm. who ignored all the signs because I didn't want to accept the fact that uh, my loved one had a disease, and this is a disease. There is no cure, and it is digressive in nature. Tell me about your mom, though. What, what, how, what happened with her and over her course of her lifetime? So we, um, we found a community for her. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't know assisted living communities existed. I had done some volunteer work in high school in a nursing home. They mm -hmm. call those skilled nursing facilities now. And that's all I thought there was. I thought you were in your home, and then you went to a skilled nursing facility. And the first time I walked into an assisted living community, I thought, this is like, I don't know, a country club or a resort. <laughs> I want to nice. live here. <laughs> yes. Well, here's what happened to my mom. She obviously came from the hospital, rehab, and went straight into the assisted living community. She went to Arbor Terrace Crabapple mm -hmm. in uh, Alpharetta. 
And which for those listening, Alpharetta, so Atlanta, like a lot of big cities, has a belt line around right. it. And then that's kind of in town Atlanta. And then Alpharetta is one of the, the bigger cities that's slightly north of the main city in Atlanta. Right, so right. In, in the greater metro Atlanta area. but Huge right. suburb of Atlanta. Huge beautiful, suburb. great, beautiful, wonderful place. Great people. Beautiful community. And I literally was so unhappy to put my mother in there. I expected she was going to die. I was that grump that said, this is wrong to my brother. you know. But I understand that I'm not able to care for her because I let something happen to her, right? Mm-hmm. Listen, daughter guilt is huge. I don't know if mommy guilt is worse or daughter guilt, but I was experiencing both. And so um, so here's what happened, which amazed me. My mother went into this community, and after she got stronger with PT, because they had in-house physical and occupational therapy, she actually got better. So if you were, if you were charting her, her uh, health, she actually got better. And why? See this puzzled look on your face, mm-hmm. Wes. It's because she was in a community now that had structured activities, regular structured activities. She was in a community with her peers. Now, how important is that? Not only, she, not only was she in a community with seniors, okay, her age group, but she was also, there were people at her cognitive levels also. This community was so good at what they did that they were able to tailor the activities to where my mother was. Hmm. So, and I quit. Very different than seven kids playing right, travel right. sports. With no, no cello around. and <laughs> piano. And, trumpet, trumpet. Yeah. Can you imagine Ooh, the trumpet in the house? Pl- right? No. right? No wonder she left. No, yeah, no wonder she left. <laughs> hide in her room. Um, no, but, but what was amazing to me, and, and I give this example. I have three boys who played baseball at a high level. They always played on a, on like a majors or a triple mm-hmm. A team. So I have one that plays D one sports. He's a pitcher, and I have one that's a pitcher on a fifteen year old team. Where does he? Where does he, currently? Or currently. this is back then? No, no, no. This is currently. Where does he play? Where's so he? my my guy that that plays in college at Furman University. Oh, at he's Furman, a senior, wow, that's right? cool. And then um, my little guy here, he started in, at the New Innovation Academy uh, um, in Alpharetta. So. So if I switch those two spots and my D1 guy played on the 15-year-old's team, what would happen? It would not challenge him, right? So he would, like, get worse at the game. Mm -hmm. Or Uh, his increase would slow down. Well, everything about his skill sets would decrease because he wouldn't be challenged, right? If you take the little guy, 15-year-old, 6-foot guy, and he goes at the D1 level and plays, what happens? It's too much. It's too hard. It's too fast. So he would pull back and withdraw, like I talked about, Mm -hmm. people with cognitive decline doing when they're in a social setting and it's too much. So his skill sets would go away as well. Well, the same thing happens if you're in a social setting or you're in activities and you're not where you're supposed to be. So this community was able to assess my mom and say, hey, this is at the level she needs to be. This Mm -hmm. will stimulate her. This will challenge her, but it will not overwhelm her. She will want to come back. And that's where we want our loved ones to be, in the right, in kind of this right level. Where they are and able to move them as they digress. So my mother got better. She got active. She was like the third most active resident out of 97 people. She literally ran to activities. They told me she runs from activity to activity. And yet she was in an area that was safe. There were nurses watching her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in a, a, a secure environment, so she could walk around in the garden and get her walking in, mm-hmm. but I didn't have to worry about her being under a traffic light. So it was a great place. They monitor her hydration, her food, her medication. And see, those are components and of And that's this a big deal, well. too. It's huge. a huge part of it. Huge. If so it gave her guess, more... it gave her more years uh, without the steepness of the decline. 
This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Your company is the Arbor Company, so they have lots of different facilities around. Right, so we have nine in Atlanta and forty-three plus in um, the United States. Right, and how hard is it, and how expensive is it to find the other, let's call it, several dozen companies that do this as well? Because I I know that our audience is podcast audience is a little younger. Mm -hmm. What are resources to find? great place wherever you live. So this is like a whole nother podcast in itself. How do you find the place that you're going to hand over somebody who is that important in your life to, right? I, I was that adult child. I just assumed this place would kill my mom, you know, and they didn't. So there are a number of things. There are resources that people don't know even exist. Again, no one's going to educate themselves on this until they have to. And I applaud you for addressing this issue that nobody really wants to know about. Um, Adult children should educate themselves Mm -hmm. because they're going to be looking at these decisions either with their own loved ones or with themselves. Is there a kind of, is there a society? Is there a a good resource, like a a good, um, let's say is whether it be your company or some other company or an independent organization that, rates places for this? Yes. Yeah, so so you can obviously be your own advocate and look online. You can look at ratings. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Google ratings are something we all look at whether we're going to a restaurant or looking so for a doctor. So that's in this industry that's industry, appropriate? Well, it's a starting place, but mm-hmm. that's not the end all. Mm-hmm. So there are also, um, what, what I wish I had known, there are companies that will actually go out and do the legwork for you. There are referral companies. There yeah. are companies that will will sit down with you and they will say, you know, what are your needs? Now there are national companies that do this on a national scale. And then there are individual companies that will do this that are more specific to like, say your geographic location. Mm -hmm. And I've had, I've had a couple families utilize that kind of Mm -hmm. resource for their parents. Right. And, and that's my experience in that has been pretty good. It's, right. And there are Jer- even though there is there a conflict though between those folks or not necessarily. Well, so my my advice to your listeners here are to to get recommendations on the placement companies first. Mm-hmm. You know, family and friends always say the best recipes come from a family or friend, right? And that's where your best recommendations what come from. What would you from. actually what would you call that? A, a senior care placement company, assisted living placement company? What would They're you call that? Like senior advisory companies um, and senior placement companies. So you can Google senior placement companies. Placement, okay. Right. And, you know, your listeners can reach out to me and I can give them names of people who have their own companies for, and larger companies that do a good job. Mm-hmm. What you don't want is somebody who's going to treat you like a number, mm-hmm. right? And Because your needs are very specific to your family and your loved one. My mother's needs are very specific to us. And that, that would be important to work with an advisor who hears what you have to say, takes into consideration what you're looking for, and what your financial ability is. Let's talk about the cost. Right. How, what is the range in a place? Again, these are full-time facilities. Right. What's, the, what's the range? 
Well, you're you gotta you gotta compare apples to apples here. Mm-hmm. You can't say you know take a Chevy and compare it to a Mercedes, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're looking I'll for still different take the things. Chevy. Oh, will you take the Chevy? Well, <laughs> well, I'm not gonna hold that against you, but okay. Just remember, these <laughs> Chevys can be more expensive. That, I mean, that's yeah. right. But you gotta look at what you're getting, and that's mm-hmm. truly what I sit down with the family and do. I educate them. I'll say, look, let's talk about what it is that each community can offer you, because they should all offer you the basics, right? good food, uh, a re- an apartment, care. But let's talk about what that care looks like. Good care to one person, like, uh, you know, a good driving car to one person is going to be completely different to another. So you really need to be a conscientious consumer when mm-hmm. you're looking at a place. And you have to really ask those tough questions. I give my, my families a list of questions that I put together um, for another family member years ago who said, hey, I don't even know what I'm looking for. And what should I look for? And what kind of questions should I ask? And I said, okay, this is what you need. And he was a friend. So I did a very unbiased list of questions. But you should look into those communities and see if they really are a true fit. And the cost, wow, the cost range in an assisted living community from like 3000 up to 6000 mm-hmm. And some places are all-inclusive. Some places the cost of care is broken down. So three to six. And then... In, in assisted living. And assisted then, living. Yeah. And in memory care, I would say the cost ranges from like 5500 up to 7500 okay. And again, you're going to have some that are more. But you really should look at, is that... You know, is that company training the people who are going to be working with my loved one? So, a high, so on the high end, you're talking mm-hmm. about. I had a call actually on Money Matters on WSB Radio pretty recently. There was a caller that was trying to get help on figuring out how to most effectively help his mom and utilize her assets to pay for assisted living. It was about six thousand. So, but again, that's a pretty higher end facility. Is that correct? Uh, it, at least in the southeast, it's probably Maybe in not. New York 65, is it, no, New York is crazy more expensive. Fifteen thousand a month. Yeah, I have people moving their loved ones from New York because we're so much more affordable, uh, affordable here. Yeah. for their budgets. And and you're talking about I, I I hear this on a regular basis. The facility is half of yours is, and it costs twice as much. So mm-hmm. it's going to be comparable to what the cost of living is. In these cities. So if you're in the Northeast or in, let's say, California, it could be ten to 12000 a month. It could be, okay. right. Let, let me ask this. Uh, I'll, I'll end on a, let's say, a sad note. Oh, no, <laughs> let's not do no, that. No. Let's end on a happy note. The, uh, okay, then I have to ask you other other question after this. Then. <laughs> but when, how do you deal? This is one thing that I've always struggled with because my, uh, Lynn's aunt went through, you're just a, you're, None of these stories are typical, but a just a sad. The, the story was sad, right? The whole the, the decline was it pretty is. quick. Facility and doesn't you know uh, her aunt didn't remember people after a, a year or two and doesn't remember anybody, but yet she lived a very very long period of time. And that we hear those stories all the time. It's like our our loved one doesn't remember us or maybe only remembers one person, but they might live for years. Mm-hmm. How do people deal with the loss of just, I, I've lost you emotionally. You're f- here physically, but you're, you're really, there's no memory of any of our memories together. Wow. So I also teach families on how to live well with dementia. And, and that, I can't tell you the tears that I've seen um, come forth when they realize that what they're doing is not the best way to do it. But probably if I had to tell them one thing, you're grieving. I'm sitting here looking at you, Wes, and the shell. And if you were my husband, I would, this is a man that I've loved 
And this is somebody I've lived with all these years. And I still see you, Wes, Mm -hmm. but the person I'm interacting with is not you. So families have to grieve while that loved one is still alive. That is such a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. It's like grieving and yet interacting and living with that person at the same time. So I tell families this, this one piece of advice. If I can get this through their heads, Mm -hmm. it makes that journey a little bit easier, is don't keep trying to bring that person to where you are. Go to where that person is, wherever they are in that moment. If in the morning, Wes, you are yourself, but in the afternoon, you have a more difficult time. You're experiencing maybe sundowning. I need to come to you. The frustration, the anxiety, and, and, and the, and the um, difficult parts of this journey is that the families keep trying to keep that loved one where they are. They're trying to make— so go meet them where meet they Meet them where have, they are. So where they have arrived. Absolutely. So if they're, st- if they're living 20 years ago, be in that moment with them. That's their moment. That's their present. Mm-hmm. If they don't know who you are, then go to where they think or who they think you are. And that visit can be a good visit based upon, you know, you meeting them where they are. Trying to pull that loved one into, wait, don't you remember me, Mom? Come on. You remember that vacation we took? Or no, you know you love broccoli. Mm-hmm. You have always eaten broccoli. That's so stressful for both parties. It makes for a It's very, natural human reaction, but it doesn't work. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. If I saw you on the street, I'd say, Wes, you remember you me, remember don't me? you? remember me? Yeah. First words that come out of your mouth, right? Yeah. But that's, you have to retrain yourself, and then you have to start going through that, that grieving process. Mm-hmm. The families who do it well, and it's a difficult thing. It's not like, you know, it, there's a good thing and a bad thing, but the families who do this well are the ones who are willing to get support. Mm-hmm. D- don't disregard the value of a good support team, a good support group. My God, just sitting around talking to people who are going through the same thing you're going, it's like life-saving. It can get you through another week. There are good, solid support groups out there. Don't devalue information and knowledge and learning how to recreate that relationship. This is not the same person that you've had that relationship with. What about their quality? Maybe maybe this is... Do we... Does this population suffer do they do they is their life terrible or them not remembering isn't is is it worse on us than it is on them or there other things that we look at that we don't sounds like there's so much we don't understand like are we we we, then that's why this education i think has been so helpful on this podcast is that the more we can understand your, your example of taking somebody through the hearing um you called it an opportunity to understand hearing a little bit of a visual impairment um, for, for your mother, for any of our family members that are going through this. Are they suffering too, Anne? I, I wish I could answer that uh, from a, well, I wish I could answer that because I haven't been in those shoes there. There's a group and I'm going to have to get back with you on the name of that group voices of dementia, where they actually interview um people who are going down this journey before they're at a place where, you know, they are not able to communicate well. That is so eye-opening to be able to hear from a first-person basis what they're experiencing. So I can just relate to you what it's like having worked with people, having lived with someone like this. I think if you have good care 
and you try to learn what it is that they're experiencing, again, understanding it from their point of view. When you said, yeah, there's some visual impairment, what's their significant visual impairment? They lose all their peripheral vision. Most forms of dementia, you have monocular or binocular vision. If you don't know what that's like, walk around with um, two toilet paper rolls up to your eye Mm. for just an hour and see how difficult it is just to manage an hour of your life. Now they're managing their whole days. So every single aspect of what this disease does to a person affects them. Is it difficult for them? Are they in pain? Well, you know, their body starts to shut down as their brain is not able to, you know, manage those functions. Mm -hmm. So they're experiencing like, uh, something as simple as is not being able to walk well. Well, people say, well, why are they having physical impairment? I'm going, okay, so the part of your brain that unconsciously says, hey, your right foot goes up and then your left foot goes next, your right foot, left foot, that starts to go away. So you may start to lean forward to walk, but your brain is not able to tell your feet to walk forward like it did before. And that's so how you we fall. have so many falls. Right. Yeah. There's so many little parts of this that, that people don't understand. So again, families need to get educated on what it is their loved ones is totally experiencing. Educate yourself, not just on the fact that they can't remember your name, but their bodies are transforming mm-hmm. and they're shutting down. And I think maybe to end this on a, a positive note is that if you do, as I, as I think about two scenarios, one scenario, we, we deny it, we can't, get the, 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 the family member, the loved one is not receptive, and there's not as much we can do. And they enter a world that is quickly becomes really difficult for them to navigate. And that seems, let's call it really painful or even worse than... Just facing it, understanding it, getting educated to your point, and then putting your loved one in a place that is accommodating to that, to, to lessen the difficulty of it, to, does seem to me as positive of an outcome as we can have in the world we live in today. Yes. I think the positive note is that you're not alone. Um, if you choose to go down the route, of putting your loved one in a community that's trained well to manage this disease, a memory care community, then guess what you get to be now? Guess what I became? I became my mother's daughter again. Mm-hmm. The, the few years that she had left, I was able to be her daughter. Do you know how rich of a gift that was that I received that I didn't even know that I needed? Mm-hmm. Families can become families instead of being the nurse and the med tech and the caretaker and, and the doctor and the, oh my God, you are carrying so many, so many jobs on your shoulders and your mom needs you to be her daughter and you need her to be your mom for as long as you can. So the positive note here, and I'm a very positive person, is we're all aging. We're all going to end up in the same place, right? All of us are going to be there, take different roads to get to the same spot. Some of us have more challenges thrown at us and are offered more opportunities to carry heavier burdens. I think information always gives us a piece or can if we allow it and how we use that information and the tools that are out there. Don't, don't turn a blind eye to the things that can help make this journey easier for you. And thank goodness we're in a place now where there are tools and there is work being done and research and and there are people who say, yes, I understand this disease and I'm here to help you understand it as well. What's your mom's name? Louise Williams. Louise. Her Korean name is Shonuk Noon, and, um, uh, but her name was Louise Williams. <laughs> Everybody called her Miss Louise. The 
let me ask this question. Legal steps to protect, whether it's your parents or um, is it, let's say, maybe not someone that you're close to, how would you as a daughter legally protect mom and dad too? Well, so I have a- I know you're not an attorney, so, right, but, right. but maybe but the, the answer is to go the, to an elder Exactly, an yeah. elder law attorney. People don't think they need an attorney. They don't think they need a financial advisor, do they? Mm-hmm. Until somebody really close to them has said, hey, this guy was really great for my family. You need to have a chat with him. Mm-hmm. I think everybody needs to talk to an elder law attorney. I think everybody from the time they're 30 on or maybe even younger needs to get their affairs in order and then manage to keep those up to date. People react to situations most of the time, and they're in the middle of that burning house, and they're trying to manage everything in that burning, chaotic situation. And this is not the time to do it. It is not. So, you know, reach out to an elder law attorney. Most of them will give you a free consult. Mm -hmm. Uh, Reach out to me. I have resources in all of these areas. And you don't want to get in a situation where you're now forced to make these life-changing decisions about somebody that you love that affects your family, affects you, and you're in the middle of emotional stress, physical duress, and that's what I see most of the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, take heed, wise counsel, and learn about these things now. Reach out to Wes, and, you know, he can find these resources as well, and I'd be happy to share those with you, Wes. Yeah, we will, and we'll share your information, obviously, uh, and uh, and then obviously on our website as well. Uh, this is something that we've dealt with a lot over the years, and I, I am a big believer in, el- in elder care attorneys, um, estate planning attorneys, elder care attorneys, which is different. Right. I think people get those confused, but it, what you're talking about is elder care, um, and it can it can make a huge, huge difference. In Germany, thank you for being here with us to, in person. In thank, person, Thank yes. you for sharing your positivity, your story of your mother, Louise with us and it is a remarkable story and I feel like you're on a remarkable journey to help families get through something that just happens to so many of us and there's not a silver bullet it does it medically right we're still waiting for something we're still waiting but, but you know, in the meantime yes we're going to all be we're going to many of us are going to be faced with this so thank you for your counsel you are so welcome thank you Finding someone to help you through this isn't necessarily that easy to do. Here are the Retire Sooner podcasts. We've worked with many elder law attorneys and would be happy to point you to someone who might be able to help, particularly if you're here in the Southeast. Of course, you can find the Retire Sooner team at wesmoss.com, W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. There's a contact button. Those emails come straight to me and the Retire Sooner team. You can find Anne Germany, who is a senior care counselor at Arbor Terrace at Crabapple in Georgia. We'll put her email right in the podcast description on westmoss.com. Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. 
This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information.